You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, good morning. First Sunday in January. What is this, 2024? It's nice to make progress. Moving forward. How many of you want to move forward? Okay, good. The rest of you, too bad. No, come on. Um, the Lord speaks in a number of different ways. And, of course, he speaks through the Bible, and he speaks through preaching, and he speaks through a lot, a lot of different ways. But I wanted to start this morning by talking about <clears throat> something that happened to me in the winter of 1988-89. How many of you were here in 88-89? A couple of you were born then. Okay, just check it. Well, the first evidence of the cardinal visiting my house were the bird droppings on my car just below the rearview mirror. So I had a cardinal assaulting my vehicle. And um, so for several days, I watched the door and the window, side view mirror, and I wondered why this bird, this cardinal, was uh, targeting my car. And at one point, Donna saw from our kitchen that it was a cardinal, and he was sitting on the door of my car, and he was looking at his reflection in the mirror and in the car window and attacking his image. So over the next several days, she watched him sit in the same place, peck at his own image while covering my car and himself in his own waist. Uh, It was apparent that he viewed his own reflection as an enemy. And so I had to develop, um, I developed what became a five-part plan on... uh, stopping this cardinal from doing what he was doing. Plan A, if you're taking notes, this is plan A. I was going to raise such a ruckus it would scare him off and he would never come back. Plan A failed. He was back in 10 minutes. So I went to to plan B. In plan B, I filled up a pitcher of water from the kitchen sink to throw at him. But by the time I was out the door, he had already escaped. So I went to plan C. I was going to shoot him with the water hose. In my mind, I could already see him sitting in the driveway in a dazed, wet, feather-rubbled state, feather-rubbled state, having received the just recompense for his iniquity. But once again, he was too quick for me. By the time I turned on the water and aimed the pistol grip nozzle in his general direction, he was sitting in the peach tree in the backyard I could almost see him smirking at me. So um, I stopped alphabetizing my plans. I decided I was going to do this. I was going to leave the water hose turned on to full pressure, put it alongside the car, and I was going to lie in wait for him in the shrubbery. 
But um, unfortunately, my lunge from the bushes caused ample noise in time for him to beat a hasty retreat. So then I thought, I'll just get a shotgun. But um, some animal lover there moaned, it'll be all right. <laughs> there are so many of them, nobody would have missed him. Uh, but I knew the damage done to my vehicle would negate any advantage of having no barred droppings on, on my car door. So then I entertained the thought about getting a BB gun. And finally, I just concluded that nothing would work. I just kept cleaning up after him. I was hoping some cat would catch him, eat him for dinner, but that never happened. But when springtime arrived, he disappeared. He was gone and I was happy. And um, that was that, I thought. So that was, what did I say, 98? No, 88, 89, right? Well, let me see something here. Two years later, he came back. And he started doing the same things he'd done two years earlier. But he added another trick to his arsenal. I began to hear someone tapping on my front door. And I would get up and go to the door and there wouldn't be anybody there. I'd open the door and there's nobody there. And I thought, oh well, didn't know when to. So um, once when I went to the door after hearing the tapping, I saw the cardinal sitting on a little wall right across from the front door. And he was looking at it, just sitting there looking at me. And I realized that what he was doing was he was also attacking his image that was reflected in the kick plate on my front door. Uh, but he wanted in. Well, I assumed that cardinals were migratory and that somehow this one had found his way back to my house. But I studied cardinals and I learned that they aren't migratory, but they live and die within a mile of where they were born. But um, I was confounded as to how to keep him from doing what he was doing on my car, and he just kept doing it. And um, I also learned that cardinals and robins are enemies. That was an eye-opening fact, especially for me. My name is Robin, for those of you who may not remember that. But um, So I asked myself, why had he come and gone and then come again? And I began to realize that the Lord was using this situation to speak to me. It just took several years for me to realize it. And as I looked at it, I realized there were at least three lessons the Lord was addressing for me from this episode with the cardinal. First of all, the cardinal was consumed with looking into the mirror, attacking the image he saw, not realizing he was seeing himself. This speaks of judging others, condemning others, and not realizing you have the same problems you criticize in them. I should just stop right there and everybody go home and think about that. Actually, I preached on that last month one time. And, um, but it also speaks of self-centeredness. He spent a lot of time looking into the rearview mirror at himself. And that speaks of trying to move forward 
while being consumed with the past. And years ago, the Lord showed me, showed a friend of mine, that self-centeredness is a landing pad for demonic oppression. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we're subject to depression. How many of you know that? Yeah. Some of the worst days of my life was when I lived in an apartment by myself, and there was nobody there but me. And what happens is you just get self-focused, self-centered, and I don't know if you could follow my thinking with this, but when the Lord cursed the devil, he, his curse was for the devil to eat dust. You remember that in Genesis? And um, we're made of dust. That's what it says. Uh, God breathed into the dust. And the idea there is wherever we're self-focused, self-oriented, or paying more attention to our flesh, which speaks of dust, the enemy can have access to chew on us. Do you follow that? Is that too complicated or too a little bit crazy, but it's true. The more self-focused we are, the more subject we are to the kinds of assaults that we could avoid. Um, cardinals are territorial. If we're self-focused, if we're consumed with ourselves, we can become territorial and reactionary. And just in thinking back over the years, I've recognized that self-focused people begin to think, for me to succeed, you must fail. It's, it's um, what do they call that, a zero-sum game? Is that the right phrase? For me to win, you have to lose. But that's really just simply not the way of the Lord. Um, but then I began to think about the whole rearview mirror idea. And the rearview mirror speaks of the past or looking backwards. The dangers of driving while continually looking into the rearview mirror are obvious. You can run off the road. You can run over somebody. But it speaks of being distracted by our past. And many of us have been held captive by past disappointments or unforgiveness or resentment or some attitude that's set up in our soul that we need to move on from. Um, some believers have allowed themselves to be defined by their past experiences and relationships. And it's really kept them from going off after the things the Lord really has for them. But we must allow only, somebody say only, we must allow only the Lord to ultimately determine who we are. But you can't go forward looking backward. And what we want to do in 2024 is go forward. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, Luke 9, it says, No one, having put his hand to the plow and doing what? Looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the, and the idea is... A farmer who looks backward while plowing his field will plow crooked rows. And if you've got crooked rows, they won't be fit for sowing, and your seed won't be sown in the right place, and it will affect your harvest. So you can't move forward looking backwards. 
That's one of the importance of, of having a vision for your life. And the best way to plow a straight row is to find a distant focal point and plow toward it. Without that kind of focus, the farmer will not have a harvest and the Christian will not fulfill his master's purpose for his life. Okay, who's with me so far? Everybody all right? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Now I want us to look at Elisha in an episode we find in 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. And that should be on the overhead. Let me know when it's up there. It's up there. Okay, good. So here's how that goes. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels, pots, vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. That's a remarkable story. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Well, there's a point in time in your life where you need to shut the door behind you. Shut the door to your past. Make peace with your past. If we don't, it's going to hurt us. Elisha didn't just tell the widow to close the door, but he said, shut the door behind you. One of the most significant doors that many must close is the one that lies behind them, namely their past. What do you have back there that continues to plague you? Is there failure, condemnation, humiliation, loss, or even inaccurate conclusions of God faithfulness or kindness. Well, shut that door. Shut the door behind you. And I thought about that small jar of oil. When the prophet asked her what she had, her um, perspective on her life, well, she responded this way, nothing. Basically, that's what she was saying. He said, what do you have? And she said, oh, nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. Nobody has nothing. And that small jar of oil represents Christ in you. The one who lives in you is not nothing. But we can relate to him as not nothing. Um... But Christ in you, you have an anointing. I know a lot of people, we don't talk about this, but the Bible tells us 
that we all have an anointing. We have something in us from God that if we learn how to give it away, it'll increase and grow. But many of us just don't know what we have in us. So the very thing that was going to save that widow's life because she didn't have sufficient revelation, she didn't have sufficient understanding, she said she didn't have anything. We have to refuse to be negative. What do you have? One thing Dan was talking about this past week in our staff meeting was to do what we need to do, we can never succeed looking at our resources. We'll never do what we're supposed to do if we just keep looking at our resources, how much we think we have. Um, the interesting thing was, as long as she poured that oil, it continued to flow. It only stopped when she ran out of a place to give it. There's so much in this I can't get into right now. But we need to learn how to let what God's given us, we need to learn how to let it out. We need to learn how to give it away. We need to be more concerned about people around us than ourselves, or we'll get stuck. I've got a note here on a little episode that happened years ago. I've called it backing up and getting burned. Say that with me. Backing up and getting burned. How many of you know what the term getting burned means? Yeah, it means we lose or suffer loss. So a friend of mine was scheduled to speak one Friday night. And just before speaking, he went out to the lobby and he was, somebody stopped him. He wanted to ask him a question. And in the lobby, we had a counter with the self-serve coffee urn. And as he was listening to the person, he backed up and leaned on the counter against the urn and it opened the faucet and shot hot coffee down his backside. <laughs> Funny if it's not happening to you, right? So he sort of scalded himself, ruined his clothes. <laughs> he was pretty distracted. And when he told me what happened, I recognized that his experience contained a prophetic message for us all. If we back up, we'll get burned. I heard a rumor that there were people here. <laughs> if we back up, we'll get burned. We need to go forward. Backing up is an accurate description of someone who is allowing their past to nev negatively affect their future. It's not a good thing. I've thought too about Paul the apostle who persecuted the church. And as a result, the church didn't trust him. They were hearing, uh, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. But Paul was challenged. Actually, the Bible tells us Paul had a, um, a thorn in the flesh. You remember all that? And people trying to figure out what it is. I think what it could have been was the fact that he killed Christians and he put Christians in jail for their faith. And then down the line, he would run into their children children of these people. And um, so Paul had a past that was very difficult for him to deal with. 
Um, he wrote a letter to the Philippians from prison. And in Philippians 3, he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And that's an important phrase. One thing I do. Let's say that. One thing I do. Then he tells you two things. So I think these two things are actually just one thing. What is it? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul acts like that's one thing. Forgetting and reaching forward. You press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, um, Paul's secret to success was he had a bad memory. He forgot the past. He reached toward the the future. He pressed toward his high calling that he knew God had given him. Now, one of the things I noticed about cardinals is the cardinal's a thief. Do we have that picture of the cardinal? You want to throw that overhead? You know, I said earlier, cardinals and robins are enemies. And um, one of the things I've learned from this lesson of the cardinal is he had come to steal my song. Robins are migratory birds that come into territory and announce the arrival of spring. But cardinals are territorial and they don't like robins coming in and singing. There may be some cardinals in here that don't like my singing. I don't know, but... You know, the, the, the interesting thing is in a minute I'm going to say something funny and maybe more of you will laugh, but uh, so far I'm sort of striking out. But the robin announces the arrival of spring. And they say in the Northeast that you can't say springtime has truly come until you hear the robin sing. His song announces winter's over. He's the type of the heavenly bridegroom in the Song of Songs who proclaims, for lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. I believe this is where we're headed in 2024. The time of singing has come. But the message of the cardinal really is important. Even his physical appearance contains a warning. Do you see that black mask? He looks like one of those, um, how many of you have seen those commercials where they're trying to sell you a security system? And so somebody comes in the house who's got a little mask on, right? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. In the commercial, um, the woman blares into the house from some office somewhere. Stop. Identify yourself. And every crook says, I'm Bob Smith. I live over on a... <laughs> no, they don't identify themselves. They run. Anyway, I'll keep moving. For lo, the winter is past. Say that. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. 
The time of singing has come. The time of singing has come. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Um, this is not going to be long today, so I might have to crank out something extra. <laughs> I believe the Lord gave me, us, and you um, a chapter in Isaiah specifically for us for this year. It's Isaiah 35. And um, I don't know about you, but the last three years have been the most difficult years of my life. You know, you know, we have some church problems, church difficulties. Um, I had uh, an aneurysm, almost died. And um, actually, I'm getting old. Have you noticed? I'll be 73 on Wednesday. 73. And I don't feel a day over 75. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> um, so I was praying specifically for Queen City Church. I was asking the Lord to speak to me about the church and for the church. And a phrase came to me, and the phrase is, the desert shall blossom like the rose. And so when I looked it up, I realized that it says more than that. It says, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. So what's the desert's response? Ability. The desert shall rejoice. Now, this isn't talking about a desert. This is talking about you. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. And um, now, I've got enough sense to know that I can look on the bright side when maybe I shouldn't. How many of you know what I'm saying? And give myself comfort that's really not exactly what the Lord's saying. So I said to the Lord, okay, I'm looking this up in Isaiah 35, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. How about confirming to me that that is a real, solid, specific word from heaven for us? In other words, I wasn't satisfied with what I got so far. I said, is that really from you? And so here's what happened. Uh, Amanda Torrey brought some um, a, a young group of people she ministers to, and what they do is they, they will come and pray and prophesy, pray for you. And so uh, they came to the house, and I came downstairs, and they prayed for us, and it was really sweet. And dear, dear little group of kids, and Amanda said, do any of you have um, a prophetic word? And this uh, young, uh, young lady, young girl said, I have a word. And I said, what is it? And she said, blooming. Blooming. The desert shall what? Bloom, blossom. And I thought, Wow. We should begin to believe this. 
You know, the value of a promise comes from believing it, not having it. You could write this down and put it in your pocket and it wouldn't do anything for you. Robin, that was really good. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to make that observation. Yeah, you can write it. You could get it tattooed on your arm. It wouldn't do you any good. You need to read Isaiah 35. Let's, let's just think about this. Claim it. Name it and claim it. Let's defend everybody in the eastern seaboard. Now, when God gives you something, lay hold of it. How do you lay hold of it? You read it. You agree with it. And you speak it. I think we don't go back to basics too frequently. Salvation comes this way. For with the heart, man or a person believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so, you know, there are people that have been sort of offended by all that. Well, I don't, I don't care. At a given point, you need to agree with the Bible and not with the critics of people who abuse the Bible. But you need to read it, you need to believe it, and you need to claim it. Because there's an incredible promise in Isaiah 35, and the Lord wants it to be yours. Well, then one other thing happened. Brandy McMillan had um, a cactus that hadn't blossomed in almost four years, and a couple of weeks ago, it bloomed. You can't have any more graphic picture of the desert blossoming like the rose than that. We should be ashamed of ourselves if we're not really happy all next year for not getting, getting the message. So, what does the desert need to do? Rejoice. Because if you rejoice, you'll blossom. That's what the Bible's telling us. That's a now word. That's a for us personal word word from God. Go read Isaiah 35. It's amazing. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Here's the wonderful thing about rejoicing. When you're in a mess and you set your heart and mind to appreciate the Lord, to rejoice to give him honor and praise, oftentimes what follows that is the activity of God that gives you a benefit or a breakthrough. And then after you get that benefit or breakthrough, you rejoice even more. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with the joy, even with joy in singing, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Then it says in verse 3, and this is what I'm doing this morning, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. Do not fear. Be strong. Do not fear. 
How should I be? Strong. Now, is God saying that to strong people? Doesn't need to say that to strong people. Strong people are already strong. He's speaking to weak people. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. How many of you need a little saving? How many of you need a little benefit, a little bit of help? Well, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals. How many of you are living with the jackals? Hope not. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there in a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for the others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. That's a remarkable verse. Whoever walks on the road God is giving us, even if you're an idiot, you'll still make it. I didn't write that. Isaiah wrote it. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there. Nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It reminds me of a song from years ago. I don't know if I can say it. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing. (laughs) That's terrible. Unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Amen. What is that? It said it's not over till the fat lady sings. Well, springtime doesn't start till the robin sings and he just started. (laughs) They shall obtain 
gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their head, heads, heads. <laughs> they shall. Ab- <laughs> You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 